Ali, what's that you're holding? Well, this is a burr box from Crown Dental Burrs, and it has Dr. Flo King's name on it. And the reason we've implemented this in the practice is that Paul has the rota system, so his great burrs are kept in order. That means you can ask your nurse for a number of burr, which means you'll always get the same burr, and the rota system means you'll never run out of burrs. So it's definitely worth the investment, and it's not nearly as dear as you might think for something this good. Ali, why did you invest in the Navident Dynamic Navigation System? It's incredible. It brings our safety and accuracy up for patients. Here is a tracker that we use. And thanks to Rob from the Dental Imaging Company, it's been great support and so easy to set up. I see why so many people go to him for their digital imaging, 3D or two-dimensional, and also all their surgical supplies like Ustamed screws. Rob's been incredible and I'd highly recommend working with him. Greetings dental professionals. I'm Flo, a new addition to the field. And I'm Ali, a seasoned dentist who's been around for a while. Welcome to Pearl's Two Generations in Dentistry, where we explore the depth of dental expertise. You can find us on Instagram at Pearl's Dental Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. So Ali, how was your week? We've had a good week, haven't we? We had a nice little surprise. We received an email from Italy. Yes. Saying that our paper has been accepted for publication. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually really exciting for, for everyone listening. Uh, I wrote a paper as part of my uh, master's in clinical oral implantology. And Flo read the paper as a mentee and said to me, it doesn't quite make sense. <laughs> That's fair, so right? I'm so kind. Aren't yeah. I? <laughs> no, and you're absolutely right. It was trying to cover too many things, but actually there was a core of a really cool paper in there. And um, I talked to the university about getting it published and it was a lot of red tape. So Flo decided to make the paper make sense and submitted it for publication. And it's been accepted. Yes. From the uh, Journal of Osseo Integration. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be publishing a paper together. Yes, it, yeah, it was a little bit, I, I think when I said, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll help you with this, I'll do the admin side, I didn't quite realise the, the monster I was taking on. And there are, every time, for anyone who's looking to publish a paper, there is always a net, another form you have to fill in. Um, and I think what was quite lucky is the fact that it was just the two of us. I know I've spoken to people who do a lot more publishing and they said that when you start getting into these teams where there's sort of seven people and you're trying to chase everyone up for these forms, that's when it can get even even bigger. Um, but, you know, it was, it's been a very interesting process. Um, I feel like I know the old paper inside out now, even though... You know it better than I do, <laughs> I reckon. Probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely know when to pick, when when to choose the implant, um, whether it's a short implant or a sinus augmentation. Yeah, and it, and the cool thing was, it was something that hadn't been done before. It was, it was patient-specific factors because it wasn't answering the question, are short implants better or sinus augmentation better in the atrophic posterior maxilla? It was looking at uh, what which patient and what is happening with that patient and how to choose. But um, I worked in clinical trials and it was a big team and it was, um, it made me realize that when you offered to do the admin, it was a deal I had to take and you learned, nothing is for free, Flo. <laughs> um, 
but no, it's great. It's awesome. You know, this is a, it's a, it's every process you, you learn by. So no, great week. And, and in practice, it's been really busy with really cool stuff. And I think one of the coolest things that happened this week is I've talked about on previous episodes, the fact that uh, I've been working with Navident and Southern Implants to film a really cool surgery. And I went to go see the uh, photographer and videographer, Simon, to, to look at the completed videos. And they look incredible. And we went off on a tangent. And he's now producer Simon for the show, which is awesome. Um, really cool guy and really knowledgeable. And um, yeah. Yeah, big big changes, big changes with the with the podcast. So lots of lots of things going on there. How's your week been? Um, mine's been a little bit, I've done a lot of research this week. I know, um, yeah, you were taking the piss out of me last night when uh, <laughs> I, I replied that, yes, I was sitting researching dental caries. Just, I thought you were joking. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, I was, uh, I was, I just sat down with the, la the laptop. I, I realised basically where this has come from. I do, I do like to sit and scroll a little bit through Instagram of an evening. And I had realized I quite often was, you just get a lot of dental videos and you hear all these different things. And what I'm trying to now be conscious to do is actually when I hear something and I find it sort of interesting is to actually then go and find that research that's sort of. Awesome. Yeah. So that's what I've been trying to do. So I saw it that this video popped up where someone was talking about sort of making sure you're talking to patients not about, oh, you've got decay, we're going to do a filling, but about dental caries is this non-communable disease yeah. um, and actually talking about that lifestyle thing. So I wanted to, to actually go and see what the latest research out there on dental caries is. Because I think we're all very, you've got your script sometimes that you stick to, you've picked up things in dental school, but you don't then look at actually has anything changed over the few years you've been out of I guess it's not the sexiest topic so no, everyone's not, not keeping on top of it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean yeah you, it's much sexier to look at implants or something then um but yeah so I found that really interesting maybe we'll do a an episode on some of that that actual latest research out cool. there because yeah. there, there are a few little nuances I think in some of the language that's now being being used which should be interesting to discuss cool. at a later yeah. date. So a yeah. little teaser there yeah, for maybe yeah. something to come. Um, but let's get on to what today's topic actually is, and that is dental scanners. I wanted to talk about this um, on the podcast because prior to this year, I, well, the year starting with you as a mentee, it's hard to, 2024 now, so prior to 2023, yeah. um, I'd never used a scanner before. They weren't mentioned really at university when I was there. I hope they are being mentioned a little bit more now. Um, I didn't have access in my foundation or NHS job um, and I was a little bit scared of them. I had, the experience I had was I did an ex um, sort of a university exchange program in China and we got to have a little bit of a play out there. And then I had a friend who, when he graduated, went to private practice and I went and did sort of an observation day and he let me have a little go with his scanner. But other than that, I sort of wasn't that aware of them. So when I came here to actually start putting them into my dentistry has been sort of a massive change and using them daily now. I think it's one of the biggest changes to my dentistry. Um, for the benefit of listeners, just 
what a dental scanner is, I'm sure most people are aware, but it is a handheld wireless device used to scan a patient's teeth and gums. It creates an immediate 3D impression of the patient's teeth, gums and bite. Um, and then you can view it chair side um, on a screen in real time, or it can be sent digitally to a lab. So can I add a yes, couple of things out? I think you said wireless. Actually, a lot of them are wired, and I preferred the wired ones because anything wireless, you're depending on things like battery and connection. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is when you said to me, let's talk about scanners, my mind went to, because we have four scanners as part of our protocol. Mm -hmm. So we have our Planmeca Promax 3D CBCT, mm -hmm. which is ultra low dose CBCT scanner, mm -hmm. but we're not talking about radiography here. We have our intraoral scanners, and I think that's what you were referring to. Yes. We have our facial scanner, mm -hmm. which is very much tied into our intraoral scanner. And then we actually, thanks to Darren Kelsey's lab up north, we've been using iMetric for our full arch work. So we've got photogrammetry as part of our scanners. Mm -hmm. um, but today we're talking about intraoral scanners. Yes, I do want to touch on some of those other ones, but that, that main thing is that intraoral scanner. What is your sort of background in intraoral scanners? So I was very lucky. I, worked in a very forward-thinking practice at the beginning of my career. And my experience with scanners started with CEREC, but the old CEREC. So Densply Serona's red cam and blue cam, mm -hmm. which uh, what we used to do is actually spray powder on the teeth mm -hmm. and then take three photos that would stitch together and design and mill our chair-side restorations. The practice also had the older version of the Itero. And that people using Itero now, I mean, it's, it's sleek and it's small. We had a huge head on this Itero. I mean, I used to struggle to hold it up whilst I was scanning, yeah. And it was a little bit clunky, but incredible tech. Um, and then uh, the, the Omnicam came out from CEREC, which was color, lots of photos, moving around, a little more dynamic. And again, for chair side milling, that was great. Um, and then I've played with various scanners when I was visiting practices. The Trios is fantastic from 3Shape. Um, but you and I were at the ADI conference last year. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about how do we do more facially driven treatment planning because someone's teeth belong in their face, right? How do we do more facially driven treatment planning without having to really uh, calibrate these photos so that they're in the right position, which Aston does an amazing job of. So he, through the Koist Center, he has um, his protocol with the Koist glasses and the labs know how to calibrate and it's brilliant. But it is an hour of clinician's time and it's hard work. Um, and we needed to make it so that there's less error thrown in and it's much quicker. And we saw the facial scanner, yeah. the MetaSmile from Shining 3D. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was Mark, wasn't it? Mark was at the show. So Mark uh, Barry from ESM. And normally when you go to a trade show and you're looking at an intraoral scanner, they, they use it on a model and you use it and you go, this is amazing, right? <laughs> um, but Mark got you to scan him. Yes, and it was, we, yeah, we previously had that, the iTero here, which I enjoyed using, but once picking this up, it was just that speed and not having to go sort of back over some of the, some of the teeth and not having to be absolutely touching the teeth yes. as well. And being able to do that at a show sort of, and you're not, he wasn't even laying back or anything like that. I mean, yeah. it was a little bit awkward doing it standing, but even then the scan that you were able to get was so much it was it was quick it was easy um 
very good selling. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, but if someone can make it work in real time, you know it's a good product. Because because we were actually there to try the Metasmile, but this is the Aoral 3 that works in conjunction with it, and they kind of plug together. And also the size of the head, it was so nice and small. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you feel like this, but from a sustainability point of view, mm -hmm. um, the disposable heads on other scanners Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, for, you know, from a, from a business point of view, throwing away a five pound part of it is no, it's not ideal. But I mean, for the environment, it's horrible. Um, but because we are not tied to systems, because this is the issue, isn't it? If you want chair side milling or you're using a particular orthodontic system, you might have to be tied to particular scanners. But we were looking at uh, an open market. Mm -hmm. No, it was. Um, and it's been fab sort of now actually using it with patients. Um, what have you found is the difference now? I think one of the biggest difference is getting those back molars. For anyone that's sort of used intraoral scanners a lot, it's usually the bane is trying to get that that awkward seven or eight, uh, particularly in someone that can't open quite as wide. And before it was really awkward trying to get a patient to sort of half close while you get sort of round that back bit. But with with these you can because the depth of field is a little that you can be that little bit further away it's just able to pick up everything um at the back and the head itself is a little bit smaller so it's just that bit more comfortable um i think really i mean one of the best feedbacks i've scanned my husband with both and he he was like the yeah when you did it with that one it was just so much more comfortable yeah. and it, yeah that speed and i do know i've become more efficient with it in yeah. general but actually um i think using this it is just that little bit more more efficient there um it, it's an interesting point you make though because actually what we're doing is we're comparing our move to the scanner but when you you know a lot of a lot of people who are listening might be using conventional impressions still mm -hmm. and so w reflecting now on when you uh came to work with us what was the what were the biggest differences from going from conventional impressions to the scanner because you said your workflow is very different oh yes it is and i think i think to begin with it is that the first the first few you do you're going to be slower because when you're doing impressions day in day out um you do you get you get quick you get um you can get them nice and re repeatable. And when you switch over, it's suddenly like, oh, I'm very slow now, because you, you're not sort of used to some of that movement. But actually looking at it now, my speed is, I don't think it's quite as quick, just because you are having to sort of go around everything, but it's not far off from taking sort of a, a manual impression there. The thing that I love the most though now is being able to sort of reflect on that work in real time. Yes. It's being able to on a on an onlay prep or a crown prep zoom in and go, oh actually that margin does not look as good as I thought it did in the mouth. And then because because it's sort of all there, you can just pick the point you want to scrub out and redo it on the patient and only have to rescan that that small part um whereas obviously with an impression i know you can sort of look in look in it but you're not getting that same detail and you're also not then uh, you're having to if you are going to then change anything you're going to have to retake it your nurse is going to get annoyed that they're going to have to mix something again and it's or, or you don't up. even know or it's well, yeah. the lab phoning you and then yeah. the patient having to come in again right yes no definitely all adds up the 
I definitely had a, a learning, one of my big learning curves was very early on. I did a, I was trying to be very conservative on an onlay and I just hadn't left quite enough occlusally. And it's being able to have that part where you can click on after the scan and it tells you how many millimeters yes. you've cleared. And that is just for me. So when you would do, you've got someone with an awkward bite, maybe a bit of an over eruption of a tooth and you, you think you've taken enough, but you've just, you're that little bit short. Or, uh, or prepping sevens and you have over rotation once yes. you've prepped it, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, for me, I'm, for, yeah. Big, big advocate for, a, for an intraoral scanner. And, and from a patient perspective, because we spend a lot of time thinking about the patient journey, a lot of people don't like having impressions taken. They have memories of all this goo in their mouth and the claustrophobia. Um, so that's one side, but I find the really good side of it is being able to not just self-reflect, but also show the patient the scan. And there's, um, you bring them along for the journey, there's consent parts of it. So, I mean, it's almost, it's just a no brainer now with, with the, uh, types of scanners available um, and what it adds to your workflow. Mm. Do you think that we should be scanning everyone almost as part of a yearly checkup? It's an interesting question. I feel like I shouldn't have too much of a say in this because I'm not doing the yearly checkups. Um, I think, it, you know, with anything, having set rules, guidelines are one thing, but having these set rules, it can almost become like medical screening, which mm -hmm. How helpful is it? I think it's great that like you and Aston are scanning people for tooth wear on a regular basis. I think that's of a lot of value. I think the problem is once you start introducing these things uh, that have to be done that might not be of any uh, clinical diagnostic value, what tends to happen is you're just adding to the cost and the faff. Yes. Um, what, what situations were you thinking about? I was more, I do think there could be some value because I think net, yeah, you never can quite remember something. Obviously, we can write notes and yeah. you can put a watch on something or let's monitor this tooth. But actually, if you were able to sort of go, we scanned you last year, it looked like this. We've scanned you this year. Yeah. It looks yeah. very different um, and it can pick up some of those minutiae. There could be a benefit to that. But I think you've actually just convinced me. Because <laughs> honestly, for the sake of two or three minutes, which actually you can scan a whole mouth in that time if you're efficient, um, and if the scanner is sitting there, what's the difference? Yeah, I think, yeah, my would be sometimes that data overload, which I don't know if sometimes it might be, there's so much sort of then for a patient to take in or to deal with. But I do, maybe, maybe it's not yearly, maybe it's every two years. Maybe it's not for the patient, maybe it's for us. Yeah. Maybe, you know, because what, what we want to be able to do, I do it, if I look on an x-ray, mm -hmm. uh, let's say I've placed an implant, restored an implant, I take an x-ray and the tooth next to it looks like it has a, a faulty filling. Mm -hmm. I'll think to myself, did I miss something? Mm -hmm. So I go back to the earlier x-rays and I go, oh, actually, no, this has happened during this time. Phew. And actually having that there to inform your learning reflection audit, I think any tool that helps you become a better clinician, mm -hmm. as well as provide better patient care, mm -hmm. is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's something for 2024 we start start thinking to bring in then. Well, what's cool is that actually in, in the practice that our, our nurses work at the edge of their scope of, uh, of practice, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that means everything that they can do, they do. And impression taking is one of those things and digital impressions. Mm -hmm. So we actually have one surgery that's dedicated to the nurses using it and the nurses have their own list. And part of that is the intraoral scanning. So it could be part of the workflow where patients have their photos taken. Mm -hmm. They could also have a scan taken. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. 
brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I know that's not <laughs> what this podcast no, for, no, but it's great. great. No, <laughs> I do. It's great. The nurses are now going to listen and be like, oh, God, what has she done? <laughs> More stuff there. Um, what, what I did want to chat about, what do you think actually some of the cons are? Because I think it's very easy to talk about all the pros, but... Off intraoral scanners? Yes. I think overall, intraoral scanners are a good thing. I think particular scanners have cons mm -hmm. to them. So I don't like closed systems. Um, I think the orthodontic landscape is going to change with, um, you know, you having to buy a specific model of uh, Trios or uh, an Itero. Mm -hmm. um, there are other aligner providers that have come in. Um, so I think, t I think being tied to systems isn't a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but overall, I honestly can't see a con to them. It's a little bit like when, like cars are a good thing. Mm -hmm. I know maybe I, let, let, let's park the sustainability thing for a second, but car, yeah, 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 yeah. Cars are good because they, they allow us to get to places. So this is allowing us to do something. It's just which car you need. And I think it's the same thing where I honestly couldn't tell you a bad thing about scanners. It's how you use them and what you use them for and the particular one you choose that will determine it. And this is the difficult part. It's a big investment for some associate dentists have their own scanners. So Sid is the first person I saw walking around with a Trios in a suitcase, like, like a door-to-door -door salesman, but not selling anything. But it's brilliant because he said, if I'm going somewhere, if I'm doing the job, I want to do it to this level and I'm not going to ask the practices to invest in this mm -hmm. if they're not in a position to. But for an individual or for a practice, it's a big investment. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's great that there's places like the uh, IDDA, the Digital Academy, that, that have a scan club where you can read about scanners, but you can also look at uh, buying one and you. I think you get a, dip a diploma with them as well in digital dentistry, which is really cool. So there's no bad way to have a scanner. Um, and there's lots of support out there now that there wasn't when scanners first came out. Yeah. I do know one of the things I joined when I first started using, there's a, there's a Facebook group, it's called like the iTero Network, yes. I think. Um, and it's really good just for little tips and people can put on sort of, oh, I'm having a little problem with this, do you have a, a tip? And I'm sure there are some Facebook groups and things for, for other scanners, but that was yes. quite a nice, good way to, to start, just to pick up what other people are sort of saying like, oh, this, I found this a bit awkward. Anyone, does anyone have any advice? Yes. Which is, yeah. I mean, we looked at so many when we looked at scanners and the, the problem with people's experiences is that um, often they don't have experience in lots of different types of scanners as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, essentially now, uh, you, at one point, the, the Medit came in mm -hmm. and it disrupted the market because it was uh, priced as an entry-level scanner, but it did everything and had open software. Um, and then as it became more popular and people realized it's actually really good, it's just price low, the price crept up. And now I think the Aorol 3 has come in and is kind of taking that mantle. Um, but because it's a worldwide thing now, it's not just markets that can afford it. It's a lot of the world are using scanners. The support is just phenomenal. I think the, the first groups came out of Australia for CEREC support. And now there's international communities off it. And, and the, the support now with multiple companies means that if you go into scanners and you take that journey, there's so much support out there. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm very lucky. I've, I've got you and Aston in the building that I always hit up for. Oh, what do you do for this? I mean, one of the sort of those looking at what is more difficult to scan, sort of that whole soft tissue. And I know you've got a little tip that you do on sort of soft tissue. Yeah. So um, tissue marking pens. Mm -hmm draw a pattern like a ladder on the palette and it just helps you stitch it together. I mean, you can use anything. You can use the uh, 
I, for, I always forget if it's the catalyst or the base from um, calcium hydroxide, but anything that you can paint on, mm -hmm. um, it just gives you something to stitch across. Yes, and yeah, that's been really useful. Um, with the other big one is that sort of that shiny, when you've got some very shiny amalgam or shiny crown or something. And I know sort of what we're using, there are modes you can sort of put it into, yes. which is great. Basically using AI. Yeah. Yeah, to, it's incredible. Um, but if you, if you don't have that mode, it is just, you know, making sure the, the lights are out, making sure everything's dry. That's always going to help, help it pick, pick everything up there yes. as well. I mean, I think you have to go through the journey of realizing, switch the lights off in the surgery, hold it on this part first. But the big thing with all scanners is they all have a specific scan pattern that you're meant to follow. Mm -hmm. So you have to learn how to use your scanner. You can't speak to your friend who has another scanner and say, how do you use it? And they tell you about it. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's system specific. And I think when people realize that, they realize all the scanners are very good. <laughs> you just might not be using it well and it might not be great for what you need it for. Yeah, and it's also, I think sometimes, um, in your hands so it also might be a very good and you might actually be using it right but it's not it's just not for you yeah. and it is the luxury of if you are working multiple practices and can try multiple things or you know when you're at a show actually going and having a go with different ones and seeing what feels right for you I know I mean being female a lot of the world has been designed for men. There's a, there's a great book on it, looking at all sort of the data, but some of the scanners are bulkier to hold. And yeah. if you've got very dainty hands... Like mine. It's, <laughs> it, it is a bit more awkward. So it is yeah. worth actually holding them. Like you said, some of them, if they're, if, if they're that heavier and you don't have sort of that massive bicep going on, you might, not want, you might want something that is just a little bit lighter um, for that data day-to-day -day scanning. So actually that's a really good point that actually a scanner is probably not something you should buy off of doing research and reading things and speaking mm -hmm. to people. The value of trade shows is huge, yeah. right? Conferences, trade shows, I mean to be able to go and pick it up and try it. Now if the big tip is if someone lets you try it in their mouth, you know it works. That's what happened to us, yeah. yeah definitely. And it's yeah, it's talking to the reps and as you said getting them to actually show you the order that you use it, show it how they've tell you to use it there it's exactly. going to be massive um what i did want to talk about is actually what your i know you've sort of touched on it a little bit earlier but what your workflow is for implementing not only that intraoral scanner but that facial scanner the cbct yeah. sort of do you have a case at all where you could talk through that workflow Let's talk about Full Arch for a second for implants because this is what I'm really excited about. And I'm working with Navident who are based in Canada um, on a new workflow that's fully digital. Um, so I know this may not be bread and butter for a lot of people listening, but um, it, it kind of summarizes it, I think, well. Especially with Full Arch, we're redesigning someone's occlusion, their face, their smile. So we get a facial scan and an intraoral scan and those stitch together. So at that point, the lab have... Um, their face and their teeth inside and how it all sits together. And we take a CBCT, so a 3D X-ray low dose, that stitches into that as well. So we have the bones, the skin, the smile, the teeth all in one. Mm -hmm. The smile then and the new teeth get designed around that. And we can take into account the lip line, which is the most important factor when we're treatment planning, in my opinion, in most cases, um, because you can't hide any sins in a, in a high smile line. And so 
we can we can work a on this. Bit of Botox. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't, and and then you can see, you know, it's uh, Flo will sell you that every three months. <laughs> no, and you know what? No, I I joke about it, but but um, if we can avoid good treatment planning, can help to avoid a lot of subscriptions to things. Is the idea. And then when we plan the smile, we can plan the surgery backwards from the smile. We can transfer that to Navident at that point, and we can place the implants exactly according to the final plan. And so we've made, I, I equate it to um, building a house where you don't just start putting bricks down and see where you go, right? You get the architect's plans and you work backwards from it. And the beauty of this workflow is we don't have to have any physical lab work until the end. Now, once the implants have integrated, we use photogrammetry, mm -hmm. which if you use eye metric is accurate to about five microns. Mm -hmm. Traditional methods of um, conventional impressions in full arch implants, if you follow them really well, mm -hmm. and you have a tiny bit of luck, you can get within 100 microns, which is accepted, but it takes a lot of steps. So five microns is phenomenal in five minutes. We've actually got two cases in today we're gonna use it on. Mm -hmm. And that means the lab can go straight to fabricating the prosthesis. Mm. So the amount of time you're having to spend on this decreases, the accuracy increases, patient outcomes increase in terms of delivering what you promised, so the consent is great, but we can start to bring the cost of these once the machines are paid for, we can bring that down so that we can make this accessible to more people. Mm. Because the key is we want to be able to deliver quality of life. That, that's, that's our privilege as clinicians, right? Um, I'm getting a bit excited about this because I do get excited about this. So I think the digital workflow, you might start with an intraoral scanner, mm -hmm. but there's so much you can do. And actually when you bring it all together, mm. it changes changes the journey. Oh yeah. And I, I, for the patient as well, I just think that comfort level on top of it um, and how repeatable yes. every step is just... I feel bad for the postman because what I say to the patients is, they go, oh, you're not going to use that goo. If they're referred in, they've had conventional impressions. Oh, I don't like impressions. Oh, we're taking it digitally. And I always say, and it's kind of part of my pattern, it's probably Postie's not going to like me, but um, I always say, well, you see your impression, the postman could kick that around and it could get distorted, but this gets emailed off. And it's another thing. I mean, it's such a small consideration, but postage takes two days. Mm -hmm. Forget the environmental effect, the actual delay to lab work. We email it off, it's accepted. We know it's dimensionally stable. We know we've checked the accuracy of it. And we know if there's a problem, we can repeat the scan, overlay it, mm -hmm. and we can pretty much figure out the issue, which diagnostics when things are going wrong, what you don't want to do is to just keep redoing things in the hope that they'll be better. It's mm -hmm. frustrating for the lab and you. Mm -hmm. So in terms of um, increasing our efficiency in having great lab work every time, mm -hmm. um, it's made such a big difference. Definitely. Ali, why do you use Southern Implants? I love these implants, brilliant. I have options like Coaxis, which 38% of implants that are used by Southern are Coaxis, which means that 38% of the time, if you don't have Coaxis angle correction at implant level, you're compromising on your treatment plan. On top of that, soft bone implants, for the pterygoids, as well as the max implants, immediates for molars, can save having zygomatic implants. Definitely the way to go. Ali, can you name everything in the practice that's made by WNH? Ooh, off the top of my head, all of our handpieces, our sterilization equipment, my implant motor, the PisoMed, they're an incredible company to work with because they're an Austrian company that focus on hygiene and we know from studies that patients care most about hygiene. 
To top it all off, the support we get from them is amazing. They don't actually supply the equipment, but they provide the support. Now that's true support. So I put out a little call out to the to the listeners um, for some, if they had any questions at all that they wanted answered on scanners. Um, we've got a few questions back. Um, first one, are there, what are sort of the extra features that are available with scanners? Cool, so I think, um, I think with software now there's a lot more you can do. I think what's really cool is a lot of them have the um, AI mode you can switch off that gets rid of soft tissue if you want to be doing dentures and things with, mm -hmm. with, your, with your scanner. So that's pretty standard. Ours is really cool because we have a metal scanning mode. Mm -hmm. So it's actually easy to pick up whether it's metal crown and bridge work or scan bodies for implants. Mm -hmm. That's really, really useful. Um, I think I might be wrong, I'm not an expert in this, but I think now a lot of them have caught up. Um, can you think of any features? So I know um, there are toothware monitoring sort of on some of them, so you can sort of very easily overlay them and you can see the micron millimeter differences. Um, the caries detection. Yes. It's not something I've sort of used much of, but I definitely would be interested to start playing around with that and sort of seeing how it works how it works how accurate that is um but i reckon that's probably coming in a a lot more particularly with more of the ai on radiographs for caries detection yes. as well yes and um, if we've got that technology we might as well be using it even if you're not completely relying on it but having that as an adjunct i think that's the key the key is all of these things, they're based on algorithms that are based on something. They're not testing for caries. No. You know, they're not taking a little scoop and putting it under a microscope. Um, but yeah, absolutely. The more tools we have, the better. Mm -hmm. um, talking actually, next question um, from Emma says, what are the limitations in making a denture with a scanner? Cool question, right. So I made, I believe it might have been one of, one of the first, um, uh, dentures off of a scanner uh, way back when, when I used the Seric Omnicam to make a peak framed denture. So um, it's the equivalent of a chrome for someone who had a really bad, really bad gag reflex. And it was a phenomenal fit and looked amazing. And it was Burns Dental Laboratory in Oxford. You know, Ashley's incredible and his team are amazing. And they made a really good denture. Now, what I'm finding is it's become more common to make 3D printed dentures. The problem is, it's often not the scanner that's the issue. The lab have to not just have great equipment, maintain it well, they have to understand how their materials work that they put into that. Mm -hmm. So, um, Aston's definitely the person to ask about this more, because obviously you can't do mucocompressive techniques with this. Mm -hmm. But um, as far as I can see now, for what I do, which is not complex denture work, it's temporary stuff most mm -hmm. of the time, um, I don't take impressions anymore for dentures. Have you made any dentures off of scans? Only, again, only sort of that temporary variety. Um, I think for me, I'd still be skeptical to sort of be using it as a permanent denture, just yeah. because there are slight limitations, again, that mucocompressive, um, how sort of accurate sometimes sort of getting further further back. I still think there maybe is a little bit more development on that soft tissue front. Yeah that I reckon is coming, but we're maybe just, you know, a year or two away from some of that detail yeah. there. Um, and I, again, there's a little element of um, the operator 
that if we're not doing it all the time, whereas if you are very good at taking um, conventional impressions, like Assam yeah. is, and he has a whole process with it. Yeah. Um, and his lab are aligned with that process. With, and that's yeah. there, then you're going to get that much more repeatable, predictable result. I'm going to put something out to the listeners, actually. Here's a challenge. If you've made any digital dentures, uh, send us a photo of the coolest digital denture, denture you've made, and um, we, can, we can share uh, a photo of the coolest one that gets sent in. Yeah, I like that. Because I'd love to see what's out <laughs> there with digital dentures. Amazing. Uh, very hard to say, though. <laughs> digital denture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm eating those words, yeah. <laughs> um, last um, question that came in, and I think it's a little bit of an awkward one to answer, but what are the the cost differences between sort of taking a conventional impression compared compared to a scanner? Okay, so I, I guess it depends on a lot of factors. Mm -hmm. I was always told, and I'm guessing the price has gone up or this was inaccurate, but taking a putty wash impression costs about a fiver. Mm -hmm. If you're using iTero, each disposable head costs about a fiver. Mm -hmm. So it's you've got to think of the machine costs as well, right? Um, I think the answer is the more intraoral scans you take, the cheaper it gets, especially if you have an autoclavable head. Mm -hmm. And I think that cost is maybe, obviously the outlay of the machine is big, but I think cost per impression isn't, shouldn't be a factor. Mm. Um, in, I, also in dentistry, I mean, we're, we're splitting hairs about something that's so important. I know that's not entirely helpful. Mm. Um, well, I think it's it's very hard to actually put numbers on it because actually when you start playing into if you've got nurses taking taking the impressions, then the time you're saving to do other things yes. that's got to be factored in um, that lab turnaround time. The how many are you having to repeat? Are you having to pay again yes. for a crown? Um, postage costs, yeah. you know, sending it. Uh, if postage and goes wrong. All of that. Um, so it's very hard. I mean, you can look very at the minutiae materials yeah. um, and I mean yeah with digital you do need to think about electricity um, to yeah. add that in. I, I mean but but the, the big question is what price are you putting on your learning and your consent process from that and also when you're doing your prep analysis and you realize I haven't been working with bad dental technicians who are over contouring <laughs> my restorations I've been under prepping my restorations I mean the value of learning that early on and delivering better dentistry mm. um, yeah I, I just don't think that comes into it definitely I think as well is that if patients like it and you actually can get growth from it that's also a massive factor that's going to pay in yes. financially um, there's yeah the big thing I think with scanners initially there's going to be there's going to be a big cost and your efficiency isn't going to be there. But actually, yep. once you start looking three, four, five years down the line, I think you're really going to, it's going to flip. I completely agree. It's about the long-term view. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was, that's all the questions we have from the listeners today. If anyone has any, um, anything that they want us to discuss further, any topics, or if you've got any more questions on scanners, we can always answer them in a later episode. Please DM us at um, Pearl's Dental Podcast um, and we'll get back to you there. Thank you for your time today, Ali. Thank you. And I just wanted to add that this episode for the people listening will be available on YouTube and we'll share uh, the name of the channel and um, producer Simon will be in charge of that. So uh, any tomatoes to throw? Uh, send him his way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for everything. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Pearl's Two Generations in Dentistry. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Pearl's Dental Podcast. Send us a DM with any questions, queries or topic suggestions. And remember, you can watch our episodes on YouTube. Please rate and review the podcast. This episode was produced by Simon Regan.